This podcast is brought to you by jewishpodcasts.org. Start your very own podcast today at jewishpodcasts.org. Two. So great to have everybody. Parag Dalit Pasigid Zion. So I gave part of this in a shir before, but I never really finished it off about the matzah, the staff of Moshe Rabbeinu. So I'm going to go through the full medrash of what happens with Moshe Rabbeinu's staff. It's going to take a little bit to get there, so you're going to have to bear with me, okay, Dave? Just stay a little bit, but I'll get there. You don't have to worry. No, I will. I promise. Take this staff in your hand. That you will do these signs with, these miracles with. So... A bunch of Rishonim over here. The Swono says it was nothing special about the staff. The staff wasn't anything. It was made of regular wood. It was nothing special. It was a normal staff. Nevertheless, HaKadosh Baruch Hu had it sanctified. Since it was going to be used from that point on, it made it holy. But there was nothing special about the staff up until this moment, until it was used. The Agyonah Sagashuni says the exact same thing. It was not a spear, not a sword, not a, nothing but a big stick. That's all it was. It was just a big stick that the Osios happened to come from, and that's it. It didn't have any, any real strength, any power. There was nothing that came. It was just three through Moshe Rabbeinu, and that's where all the power came from. The Ramban and the Tur says up until this point it was only used for one sign. It says, you will in the future do signs with it, but in the past, all it was used for is to turn the, stake, the staff into a snake. That's all it was used. The Pusuk's being Makatsar here, but it means that this staff was going to be used for many different things in the future. That's the idea behind it. Now, the Ibn Ezra, that was all a bunch of reasons. The Ibn Ezra says this Mata was responsible for the eight wonders that Moshe Rabbeinu did. He only says eight. He says it turned into a snake in front of an Israel and again in front of Paro. That's two. It was used to hit the Nile, turn it into blood. It brought the frogs out, as well as made the kina by hitting on the ground itself. It brought down Barad, it brought in the Arba, it caused the Choshech to happen. I don't know why he leaves out Kriyas Yamsuf, because we know that he spread out the hand, or he lifted it up at least, by Kriyas Yamsuf, but perhaps he thought that wasn't the staff itself, that was a Kaddish Baruch alone, and the staff was just there to show mastership, wasn't anything else, but eight miracles. The Rabbi Ephraim only says there were five miracles. The snake, the tiny before the people in Paro, Barad, Arba, and Choshech, he does not mention Damsver assuming because Aaron did that, it could be that Aaron did it with his own staff, which we'll talk about soon enough. The Minchas Yudah, this Rabbi Yudah Fataya, one of the Talmidim of the Ben Yishchai, one of the top Talmidim of the Ben Yishchai, says it's possible that Aaron's and Moshe's staff to do these miracles, right, that this was the same one, and proves it from the wording of Perak Zion Pasek Tezvav and Yud Zion Hey for Dam and Svardea. So it could be that this was Moshe Rabbeinu's staff that Aaron used, and clearly the Ibn Ezra holds that way. Ibn Ezra says, if the Psukim tell us that Aaron took the staff and hit the water, hit the ground, to do Dam Svardea and Kinim, and it's clear that Aaron used Moshe Rabbeinu's staff. And that might be the mouth that was between them. It's possible that's true. Maybe Moshe Rabbeinu used his own staff somewhere. We have no idea. We're not sure exactly what happened over here. But regardless, there's Menachos Yehuda right over here. And in Shmos Rabbah Chavav, it says, when the staff was used by Moshe Rabbeinu, it was called his staff. When it's used by Aaron, it was called Aaron's staff. And when it's used by a Kaddish Baruch who heard the people, it was the Mate Elokim. So that means that the staff that we have in the Kodesh HaKadoshim, that later on had all the tzitzim uprachim and all the flowers and the almonds that came from it, is Aaron's staff, but really that's Moshe's staff that Aaron was using at the time, and that's the staff we're talking about over here. It seems that we're going to see this as machlokis, as I said, we're going to mention this a couple times, but that's the way it says according to Shemos Rabbah. Rev. Victor Miller says a line over here, and he says, the fact that the staff was needed to perform miracles is clear. Because it's repeated again and again that Moshe should take the staff. Even in Parshas Chukas, 
39 years later, when they're sitting in the midbar and they need water, Moshe Rabbeinu is told to take the staff and walk in front of the water, even though he's supposed to speak to the rock. He's told, it's clear as day. Taking the staff was extremely important for something. The reason why is because this shows a sign of leadership. And he uses the idea of the staff turning into a snake as a remez to how Moshe Rabbeinu had to be a leader. See, he threw the staff on the ground and it turned into a snake. Ravigdor Miller was told, grab the snake, take the staff, grab it by its tail, the place farthest away from the head. Because the idea is, is that becoming a leader, Moshe Rabbeinu at least thought, was the form of the Yetzir Hara. It was gaiva. It was pride, ego. I'm the leader. I'm the one in charge. I'm the most important person around. And Moshe Rabbeinu said, I don't want to do that. I don't want to show myself as a Gaivitika person, as a person who's so much better than anybody else. So he didn't want to take the staff. He didn't want to be the leader of Kali. So Akadosh Baruch Hu told him, grab it from the end. If you know what you're doing and you grab the staff away from the danger toward the end by the tail, as if to say, I'm doing this because I know I have to, then it'll turn into a staff back in your hand. There is no Yetzirah then. You're doing it for the right reasons. You're doing it because you have to. Then you should do it. And if not, you grab it by the head, then the snake is going to bite you. You're going to get involved with the Yetzirah. The Yetzirah is going to grab a hold of you, and that's bad. For someone who's worthy, a snake turns into a staff. For someone who is not worthy, the staff turns into a snake. And that's the idea, so Victor Miller, behind this entire idea. Moshe Rabbeinu proved his worthiness by not wanting the staff. And Akadosh Baruch Hu showed him, you are, because of that, the best person for the job. The best person because you're, you didn't want to take it. Okay, that's that. The Medrash Avkir says Moshe Rabbeinu was told to take the staff because if he did not want to do the job, the staff would do it on its own. Listen to this. If Moshe Rabbeinu would have said no, there was no second person. If Moshe would have said, I'm not doing it, I'm not doing it. And if he would have demanded, you said, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, I'd rather die than do it. If that would have been his decision, then HaKadosh Baruch Hu told him, that's fine. There is no second person. There's nobody else that's there. If that would happen, you would, you would be completely gone. There would be no choice. Nobody else would be able to get anything at all. That's it. The staff would do everything on its own. There's no Aaron. There's no Khur. There's no anybody else. The staff would have been out there. Now, how would that have happened? I don't know. Would the staff like walked around and like stayed around there and done everything? I have absolutely no idea. But somehow it would have happened that way. Yes. Meaning Aaron Akod wasn't good enough. Aaron would not have been good enough for this. Why that wouldn't have been good enough? I have absolutely no idea. But Aaron would not have been good enough. The only thing that would have happened is, seemingly, this would have, this would have been it. it. It's a crazy line. But that's what would have happened over here. Now, the Oznayim Torah says it was a much simpler reason for them to require a staff. If a shliach comes out without anything in his hands, he says, there's nothing to believe in. People won't believe he's being sent at all. If Moshe Rabbeinu goes out and says, HaKadosh Baruch Hu just sent me to be able to save you, and he does these miracles without it whatsoever, people will not necessarily believe anything. When you have something to show them, like a staff, and you can say, look at what HaKadosh Baruch Hu did, people can look at a staff, says the Oznayim Torah, somehow that makes people believe more. I'm giving the example, but it's a simple one. The Aseris at Dibros were obviously awesome. HaKadosh Baruch Hu said the Ten Commandments to the people. They needed luchos, to verify that what they were hearing was something legit. They need something in their hands to show them that they have something, that they're actually holding on to something. 
they need something to prove that it happened. Without a staff, then it could be magic. With the staff, it seems like, oh no, there's a power to motion. Now, isn't that crazy? You think about like witches and warlocks and like all those things, and it seems like the staff is what does the magic, right? It's sort of that idea. But it's not. It's the opposite. The staff proves that the person is legitimate. It's not that the staff has any power at all. The staff is only wielded by the person who has it. Now, I looked this up, and I wanted to find out, where was the first mention of a magician's staff? Right? Where the first time that we have such mentions? It's crazy, because in the four things that I looked up online, none of them mentioned Moshe Rabbeinu and the staff in the Torah. None of them. Everything's from the Romans and from the Greeks from the 2nd century BCE till around 500 where they had this staff, and this was it, and whatever, and the witches always had something. Nobody mentions Moshe Rabbeinu. And I guess that's because even they understand that Moshe Rabbeinu's staff was nothing more than the power of Moshe himself. And maybe they didn't want to take a proof from the Torah itself, but it seems something super obvious that I would have said over here. And that's what the Yazdain Torah is saying. You need something just to prove who you are, but it doesn't mean anything without anything else. It doesn't have any power without anything else. That's what it seems over here. Okay. The Orachim HaKadosh says the word Hazeh, when it says Vesamata Hazeh, Tikapiyadecha, means there's another staff that's going to be used in Mitzrayim. And that gets back to the Machlokas that we set up above. Was there a second staff of Aaron? Did Moshe have a staff and Aaron have a staff? Or was it all the same staff? We said that Medjush Rabba up above, that it sounds like it's the same staff. But was it a separate staff or not? So HaKadosh Baruch was telling Moshe, Keep this staff in your hands at all times so you show leadership, you show power, like we said before. And that was the chosen weapon that you would have. It would be biyadcha. It would be in your hands. He was required to bring it with him wherever he went, whenever he went in front of Paro, spoke to the people. It's possible, says the Orachim HaKadosh, that the matzah was so heavy, as we'll see, it may have been the weight of 40 sa'ah. Now, a sa'ah is a measure. It's a measurement of 144 eggs, and it's really weight displacement as opposed to weight. But I want you to think about that for a second. It would be the staff was the same weight as a mikvah. That's the amount that it was. Now, granted, a mikvah is made out of water, right? The staff is obviously made out of something else. But it was either a stone or a wood that was so heavy that whenever he picked it up, he was the only one who was able to do it. The Orachim HaKadosh says, there's no way literally for anyone else to do it. You picked up the staff. It was unbelievably heavy. And maybe that's the idea of Thor's hammer, that it was impossible to pick up by anybody else. Nobody else could. It was super, super heavy and unable to be carried with anybody. And that proved that HaKadosh Baruch was with him because everybody looked at him and they said, this is impossible. How could he have possibly done that? That's the idea. He says, it's possible that both his and Aaron's staff are both mentioned in this passage. As a matzah zetiapiyadecha is yours, asher tazabo is osos is Aaron's, and that both of them are going to be involved over here. There's an itziv over here as well, and it's confusing, but it's possible that that's the idea of this mention over here. Okay, let's go on. Shmos Rabba Gimokhafei says that Moshe Rabbeinu was not a man of many words. He had a speech impediment, which we all know that he touched the fire, put it on his lap. We know that he had some sort of speech impediment, most likely his upper lip was attached to his nose in some way, shape, or form. He wasn't born that way, but because of the burning of the coal, it's very possible that's what happened. He could not speak the way that he wanted to. It was impossible for him to do it. Therefore, he was a man of action. He had a staff because he couldn't be the man of many words. He needed the staff to be able to destroy the Egyptians. That's the idea of what had happened. That's why he had to have it with him at all times. They would see it, and they would be scared, because he wasn't a man of words, he was a man of action. The Tzoramor says the exact same thing, that he did it over here. 
Moshe Rabbeinu had an opportunity here, says the Miamloes, to daven for that speech in Bennett and never have a, a, a problem for the rest of his life. He could have said, Hashem, why do I need a staff? Let me have my mouth back. Let me be able to speak back. And he never asked for it. And this is a huge lesson. When you have an opportunity to daven for it, you should always take it. Whenever somebody has the opportunity, he looks at something, he says, I want to daven right now for this. Whatever this is, take it. Just do it. Don't say, I'll daven for it later. I'll do it tomorrow. I don't have time right now, but I'll do it. Just take the opportunity right then at that moment. When Moshe Rabbeinu, said to, when Moshe Rabbeinu was told by, by HaKadosh Baruch Hu that he was going to speak in front of Paro, he could have said right then, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, heal me and I'll go to Paro. But he didn't. He said, send somebody else. He said, I don't want to have it. And in that way, he received a staff to show power. He would, have, he would be a man of action. And Aaron was going to be a spokesperson for him. And he lost it. He lost everything because of that. That's such a sad predicament. That's such a sad thing altogether. That's a really, really sad thing that ended up happening to him because of it. Miam Lois says that's the biggest problem. Now, you should know as a timeout, Moshe Rabbeinu was healed at Har Sinai, but he was only healed when speaking out Divrei Torah. When he spoke Divrei Torah, they came out clearly because obviously if you mess up something in Torah, it can mess up everybody for life. Moshe Rabbeinu had to be clear as anything to say out Divrei Torah. But when he spoke normally, which is very, very far and between, few and far between, then he still had his speech impediment and could not pronounce a pay, vav, mem, or bays, which come from the lips. He didn't have the opportunity to use his lips, so he could not say those letters correctly. That's why it was so shocking when he came up to the people and he said, pakod pakadati. That was the sign. He couldn't say it. The mouth couldn't say it. But when he said it, they were just shocked. They looked at him and they said, that's amazing. That's absolutely amazing. Okay, the Malbim also says something about Aaron. You can check that up yourself, etc. Vayatzev Avram. This is a Hasidic rabbi. He says, there are many examples of a Navi losing power because of Gaiva at such point. Moshe Rabbeinu forgot the laws of inheritances when the Beno Slavchot came up to him because he said the words, if anybody has any questions, takrivu lai, bring it to me as if I know everything. So he lost everything completely. Devora Hanavia lost her nevuah when she said the words, Ad shekamti ani devora, until I got up, devora, right? Ad shekamti bi Yisrael. She lost her nevuah in the middle of her song, in Devorah's song, in Parakei and Shoftim. She said, Uri, Uri, devora. She had to wake herself up, so to speak. She lost it completely. Shmuel Hanavi lost his nevuah by Eliyav when he got, when he said, Ani haroa to Shaul HaMelech. Shaul HaMelech went up to him and said to him, where is the roa? Where is the prophet? And he said, Ani haroa. Now, he could have said anything. He said, come with me. And he would have figured out that he was the roa. But because he said, Ani haroa, then later on, when he's looking at Yishai's kids, trying to figure out who's going to be the anointed one, he couldn't see it. And HaKadosh Baruch said, I thought you were the roa. I thought you were the visionary. You should be able to tell. You can't tell? It's because it's me. It's not you, says HaKadosh Baruch and we see this all the time. A little bit of gaiva causes a person to lose their nevuah. And he says the following, this is what the Yatav Ravam says, it's clear that a Navi can do nothing unless a Kaddish Baruch Hu is with him the entire time. And sometimes it doesn't happen at all. Those who were involved in my Navi share on Wednesday nights, Baruch Ben Neria begged, we just did this this past week, begged to become a Navi. And he, he was told no. HaKadosh Baruch said, no, it's not happening. I'm not going to allow you to be a Navi, even though we worked on it his entire life, and he was a tzaddik. He's a Talmud of Yirmiya and the Rebbe of Ezra. And he never got into his entire life. Even Elisha HaNavi had to admit to Gehazi when the Isha Shunamis came crying to him that her son had died, he said to Gehazi, I have no idea what happened. Hashem didn't tell me. How am I supposed to know? They don't get everything. They don't, they don't find out anything. It's all, and that's why the staff was so important, says Vayatzev Avram. 
to understand that Moshe Rabbeinu, it's not you. It's through the staff. So you know what we just said before? It's all Moshe Rabbeinu. It's not the staff. The staff was just for power. The staff was to show that I'm powerful, that I'm strong. That's what the staff is for. But it's all about Moshe Rabbeinu. Moshe Rabbeinu is there. But Moshe Rabbeinu can't think that way. If he thinks that way, that makes him a Balgaiva. If he's a Balgaiva, then he loses everything. He loses everything. He cannot be the leader of Klal Yisrael. For that reason, it has to be that Moshe Rabbeinu was told, and he's a huge unof now, but he's going to think as time goes on, maybe he's more in charge, carry the staff with you at all times so you know there's me, that I exist, says Hashem, that I'm the one doing it, that you're only a Navi because I want you to be a Navi. And that's it. And that was the point of the staff over there. And that's a great idea. That's a great thing to be able to have. The Bear Mankind says the exact same idea. Moshe Rabbeinu, you don't want to do this because you feel you cannot do this. You won't have to. You're just going to be a stick in my hands. That's all you are, Moshe. You're just a stick in my hands. You are me speaking to the people. And that's all you're going to be. You want to be a leader? You're not going to be a leader. You never will be. You never have to worry about it. It's a famous, I mean, it's a great line. It's mentioned in the Gemara as well. Moed Kutten, I believe, on Tess Zion, where two Gidolim, where tra- the Rebbe Gamliel wanted two people to become wealthier. So he went up to those two Gidolim and he said to them, he said, I want you to be leaders. They ran away from him. He said, you think I'm giving you greatness? I'm making you a shmata. I'm making you a shmata. You're going to be a leader? Do you know how much you're going to be yelled at? Do you know how much you're going to be screamed at? Do you know how much I was yelled at this past week? Guess how much, Noam? Just guess. Under five or over five? Over five? No, it was under five. But nonetheless, I know, I give that, I give that, whatever. But I was saying, that, that's what happens. It's not like you, you become a leader. That, that's what ends up being. You become a rabbi of a shul. You are the shmata. Who else do you think they're going to yell at? Right? If you can't matter something, you might as well be not a rabbi. You might as well not be a rabbi. I can go to Rabbi Sally at any point and get that matered for me. How could you not matter it for me? That could happen at any point. That's the idea behind it. That's the craziness behind this. I'm, I'm not making you into anything great. You're just a stick. That's what he told them. Rav Wolfson in Parshas Kukas, page 152, asked how Moshe Rabbeinu, the humblest of all men, could have stood before Paro, right, and stood there in defiance and let the Makos happen. He's a humble person. He can't just stand there and do anything. How could he do it? He answers, because that's how Moshe Rabbeinu felt. He felt like he was just a stick. He's speaking for God. He has nothing on his own. He can't do anything because a stick is honestly a stick. That's all it is. And therefore he said, I feel like absolutely nothing. I can't do anything at all. And that's what it means. Take this for yourself. Turn yourself into a staff and you will be able to do anything because it's not you. It's a Kaddish Baruch who's speaking to you. Shlomo, yeah. What do you mean got angry? Where do you see the words anger? That's not by our, but you mean toward the very end, by Makas Bechoros, technically. I mean, after Choshech, Makas Bechoros, etc. Right, so Lo Sifan Loros is Panayi, Yomra is Chopanayi. So there you have the Machlokas. Either Moshe Benu said it on his own in a Kaddish Baruch, who therefore had to give him the Nebuah right there at that moment because he would never see Aparo ever again. Or... Kaddish Baruch who gave him that Nebuah to say that this is the last time you will ever see Paro because Paro doesn't deserve it. We don't know. But what difference is it? Like, even so, that, that wasn't anger for the sake of being angry. There was anger because he wants B'nai Yisrael to be let go already, seeing the destruction of the nation. I don't think that's a kasha on, kash on this. I don't think so. And that would be that. And that's that, everybody. But as we know, this was the problem of Moshe Rabbeinu. Because he only considered himself a staff, a stick, and that Hashem is in charge... He couldn't take his staff, I'm sorry, he couldn't talk to the rock on his own. In Parshas Kukas, he's told, do not hit the rock, speak to the rock instead. 
There's a difference between the two. In Parshish Bishalach, he was told to hit the rock. In Parshish Chukas, he's told to speak to it. Hitting the rock is a lower form because it's not you doing it. It's the staff of God hitting the rock and making the water come forth. In Parshish Bishalach, that was easy because Moshe Rabbeinu could do that. It's not me. It's God. So it's not a problem. He takes the staff, hits the rock, makes the water come out. In Parshish Chukas, it's a lot more difficult. Shem told him, do it yourself. Speak. Speak to the rock and make the water flow on your own. I don't want to see the staff over there. I want you to do it on your own. And if you can do it on your own, then you'll show that you're a leader of the people and you can bring them into our stall. And Moshe Rabbeinu said, for 39 years, I haven't considered myself a leader of Klai Yisrael. For 39 years, I've considered myself a stick. I can't speak to the rock. I can't. I can't do it on my own. It's all through a Baruch Hu. He was such an unof that he couldn't deal with speaking to the rock. And that's why he hit it instead, says Revolfson. Because he couldn't deal with speaking to the rock instead. He had to hit it. He had to show that it was Hashem doing it, not him. And to that, HaKadosh Baruch Hu said, you can't bring B'nai Yisrael into Eretz Yisrael. To bring B'nai Yisrael into Eretz Yisrael, you have to be a leader with a little bit of gaiva. And Moshe Rabbeinu had an inability to bring about that gaiva. He couldn't do it. So therefore, you can't be the leader anymore. You can be the leader in the desert. You can't be the leader in Eretz And that's why he was stopped. But that's also a praise of his, isn't it? It's funny. When we do Tfilas Geshem, we say by Moshe Rabbeinu that he hit the rock. And that's the praise of Moshe Rabbeinu. How was that a praise? He was killed for it. He was told to speak to it. He hit it instead. And we praise him that he hit the rock and the water flowed. How is that possible? So the answer is this. It's the greatest praise of Moshe Rabbeinu that he was the most humble person of all time. He was so humble, unbelievably humble, that he was able to say to himself, I'd rather hit the rock than speak to it to show that it's all God instead of me. And that humility was the greatest trait, the greatest meter that Moshe Rabbeinu had. And unfortunately, it didn't go through in a weird way. No, this is just Revolson. Revolson shot behind it. And it makes sense. It's just another way of looking at it. That's 100% true. There's an Abarbanel here. I, like, I want everybody to kind of look at the Abarbanel themselves if they have a chance. The Abarbanel quotes a Christian philosopher. And he says, the lessons that you learn from hitting the rock. I'm not sure if that's okay or not. I'm just not sure. He gives six lessons. And I quoted them, but I'm not positive I want to do it out loud. Anyway, the Balaturim says there are four tagin on the hay of the word hamate. Normally, guys, tagin are like those little crowns, the little things that come up on top. There's like four crowns on the hay. Now, usually, there are only little letters on top of shatnes gates. Shin, ayin, tes, nun, zayin, gimel, tzadi. Those letters have little crowns on them. Some have one, some have three, but they have something. A hay usually has like one line, like one thing that goes up at the very, very end. This hay has four crowns on it. And he says, because this is the ninth tzaddik to use this mate. The hay is five. The four crowns are another four. So four plus five is nine. He's the ninth tzaddik to use this staff. He says, Adam, who took it out of Ganeden, the staff out of Ganeden, and used it to plant crops. Reb David Luria says, it was a branch from the eighth hachayim. He took a branch from the eight Sachayim and used it to plant, plant, plant crops that lasted for many, many years. That's what it was. I later found there's a Medjanellum that says the same, but there was a lot more to it. Adam gave it to Hanoch, who then must have given it to Mesushelach to give to Noach because Hanoch never saw Noach. 
But then Noah, Shem, Avraham, Yitzchak, Yaakov, who took it from his father when he was sent to pot and Aram to marry Rachel and Leah. And that's what he said when he said, I used my staff to cross the Jordan River. Chazal say he split the Jordan River in half and walked through. The same thing that the Matzah did later on. Yosef, who was given the staff after Yaakov came down to Mitzrayim. It may have been given to Yehuda first, but then taken away from him. He was the, that was the staff that he gave to Tamar as collateral. If anybody remembers, he gave Tamar three things. The psilcha, which may have been his tefillin slash whatever tzitzis. The mate, right? And the chosam, which was his signet ring. And he gave it over, it might have been that, but it was taken back, given over to Yosef at Tzadik, And now Moshe Rabbeinu. Now, that would be nine altogether. If you don't count Mesushalach and you don't count Yehuda, it would be nine people altogether who had this staff. And therefore, there's a nine, the hay and the four tagging on top of it. Shlomo, yeah, we can ask. I, I don't know if he always used it or felt that he had to at certain points. And I think there were certain things that Yaakovinu did only because he knew his children would need it in the future. So he used it in order to do something. Mavar Yavok had no shaykhis to what they needed in the future, and therefore he didn't do it. The yarding, he knew it was going to be split in the future, so he split it then. But I'm not positive that's the exact answer. But it seems that that's the reason why. So that's that. So the Yalkut Shimoni that says in Parshukas, this staff, was then given to Yehuda. I don't know how it went from Moshe Rabbeinu to Yehuda, but David Melech eventually had it. It was the staff that David Melech had, and every king had it until the times of Mashiach. Where's the staff right now? We have no idea. According to that Medrash, we have no idea, but Mashiach is going to come out. He's going to take the staff of Moshe Rabbeinu, and that will be his staff. The staff of Moshe. The staff of Moshe. Oh, Mashiach and David. Mashiach and David. Mashiach and David for sure. Then there's a period of Rebbe Eliezer, Parak Mem. says, when Yosef at Tzadik died, all of his belongings were confiscated by Paro and the Egyptian government, including that staff, which at the time was 2,200 years old. We're talking about an extremely old staff, 2,300 years old at the time, 2,300 years old. It was placed in Paro's treasury. Yisro was one of the three advisors of Paro. As we know, he had three advisors, Bilam, Eov, and Yisro. When they suggested they want to know what to do with the Jews, Bilam suggested to kill them. Eov was silent, and Yisro suggested not to kill them. Paro kicked out Yisro and told him he could take anything he wanted from the treasury. The one thing he took was this staff. He took it as his parting gift, and he brought it with him to his garden in Midian. He went all the way back to Midian and put it inside his garden. He placed it inside the garden. No one was able to approach it from that point on. I don't know if that means there was like a, something around it, but no one was able to get near it, says the Medrash, until Moshe Rabbeinu came, saw the letters on it, which we'll learn about soon, and took it for himself. Yisro then said, this man will save the Jews out of Mitzrayim. He'll save them in the future. Yeah. Forty says, yeah. Sword in the Stone? I'll get to it. Don't worry, we have an exact measure like the Sword in the Stone. I will get to that. He decided to give his daughter Tzipporah to Moshe Rabbeinu. Rabbi David Loria suggests that Yisro may have known that this matzah would be wielded by the man who would take the Jews out from their oppression, and that's why he said this. He may have known that as a nevuah. The only question would be, why in the world did he take it so far away from Mitzrayim? 
if he knew that the leader of the Jews would eventually have it to save them? Why would he bring it all the way to Midian, which is give or take around Saudi Arabia, and not leave it in Mitzrayim for the leader to eventually take it? It's a really weird thing to do. I'm not sure about that whatsoever, and I have no clue why that would be. But either way, that's the end of that Medrash. That's all from the Pirkei Rebbe Lezer. Medrash Vayosha, which is mentioned in the Otsara Midrashim by Rabbi Eisenstein, he says, Moshe Rabbeinu was 40 years old when he met Sipora. That goes against a little bit of a Medrash. There's another Medrash that he was king of Kush for 40 years, so he would have met Sipora when he was 60, not 40. But either way, Sipora informed him that Yisro used to test all her potential suitors with a certain tree that he had in his garden. And he would immediately, it, the tree would immediately swallow up anybody who came near it. According to Baltosvos, a fire came out from this tree and consumed anyone who was not worthy. By the way, you see this in certain stories, like ancient stories, the Roman stories, where a fire comes out from something and defeats all the potential suitors. I think that's where it's from. Moshe asked where this tree came from. Where did the tree come from? And she said it was a makil that Hashem had created on Erev Shabbos during the first days of creation that is brought down in Perkiavos Parakeh, gave it to Adon Rishon, then passed it down until it was placed in the treasury of Paro. Yisro stole it, stole it, did not take it as a parting gift. He stole it, stuck it in the ground behind his house. When he came back to get it, it sprouted flowers, it grew into an almond tree, and he left it there. All the suitors, he asked them to try to take it out of the ground. They all failed to do so. Moshe Rabbeinu then went to the garden, pulled it out, and brought it to his future father-in-law. Yitzhak was shocked. He said to himself, this must be the man that the Egyptian magicians and astrologers all said was going to help B'nai Yisrael. They were going to destroy the land, etc. And therefore, I cannot let him live. Listen to what the Medrash says. They threw Moshe, he then threw Moshe Rabbeinu into a pit, into a jail that was right near his house. He would have died had Sipora not helped him and fed him over the next seven years. He, she went there and took food out of her father's house every day and brought it to the pit. And Moshe Rabbeinu for seven years was in this pit, in this jail, until finally she asked her father to release him. When he saw that Moshe Rabbeinu was still alive, not knowing how he stayed alive, he pulled him out, kissed him, and told him what the magician said about him and his staff and what would be in his future that he'd save the Jews from Mitzrayim. That's when he allowed Sipor to marry him, and I'm sure the first couple meals were pretty awkward inside his house after that, right? But that, it's, it's an unbelievable medrash. Absolutely. Yes, Eliezer. Is he carrying around the no, I, I, I think it means like it was a small little tree that grew from it, or maybe it was like the original staff, and the staff grew a tree around it. I don't know. But it would be awesome if it was a massive tree, right? Because that's not what you're picturing. Like he's holding around like an oak tree and like going around. That's not what anybody pictures. We're picking like, we're picturing like Gandalf, you know? He's not Gandalf. He's, he's something totally different. It's amazing. It's absolutely amazing. I don't have an answer. But yeah, Mati. Did, did he just never want his daughter to get married? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I'm telling you from experience. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> I'm not saying that, like, my son and my future son in law isn't awesome. I'm just saying, because he might be listening to this year. I'm just saying, like, no, you never want your own. I mean, you love your daughter, and nobody's good enough for her. So that, that, that's 100% true. Hopefully she listens to this, right? That, that, that's that. But yeah, 100%. The same, I, I mean, if I had a tree like that, I would 100% have used it. There's no question, right? That's 100%. The safer a yasher brings another medrash that Moshe was davening in Yisro's garden, and he saw a sapphire staff. Again, up until now, we've been thinking it's wood, Right, a wooden staff that grew into a tree, a wooden staff that he put into his garden. That's what we thought. It's a sapphire staff that's stuck in the middle of the ground. He saw the names Havaya Elokim Tzvakos on it, 
and he pulled it easily out of the ground. Yisro was shocked because all the strongest men tried to pull the sword out of the staff out of the ground, right? And no one could get it except for King Arthur slash Moshe Rabbeinu. And that was it. Nobody else was able to get it. And therefore, he gave him his daughter Tzipora as a wife instead of the kingdom of England. That was the idea behind it. It's clear where they got the story from, right? It's clear. This is in a hundred... The Sefer Yasher brings it down exactly as it is. Now, the Ritzvah in the Haggadah brings down that this staff was made Sheshis and Mebereshis. The letters on it were the ones that were used to create Shamayim Ba'aretz. If you read this staff, you could literally create the heavens and the earth just by reading that all around. He also says that the staff came down mysteriously or miraculously from the heavens when Moshe was at Harsina by the sneh. He didn't pull it out from the ground by Yisro. He was standing at the sneh and a mate appeared in his hands. All of a sudden, now Kaddish Baruch said, what's in your hands? And he said, mate. He's like, whoa, that was so cool. Like it appeared in his hands. He wasn't holding it. He was, he was put inside his hands at that moment from HaKadosh Baruch Hu. That's that. So again, in Parakei and Perkyavos, it says that it was created Bein HaShemashos Erev Shabbos. Rev Schwab said, oh, he's the one that says it appeared right there in his hands right there. Rashi in Perkyavos says the Mata of Moshe Rabbeinu had the Shema Mefurish on it. Now we have three opinions so far. Elohim Yudke Vavke, Elohim Tzvakos is one opinion. Second opinion is all the letters used to create the world. Third opinion is the Shem HaMefurish. He does not explain what he means by the Shem HaMefurish. It's possible, the Rabino Ephraim says, it's the Shem Ayin Beis. The 72 word slash 216 letter name of Hashem, which is learned from those three Psukim Parshas B'Shalach. That's what we're talking about and that's what it was. So that's the possibility. Yalkut Shimoni says there were 70 Shemos on it. I don't know what that means, but there is a Balaturim and Parshish Baloscha that brings down 70 names of Hashem. One of them, by the way, is, is Tzvi. So I'm... <laughs> Take what you want from that. The Ritva we mentioned above says that it was the Shemos necessary to create the entire world. We said... The Bali Tosvos then say that this staff was made of pure sapphire. It weighed 40 saws, the same amount as each stone that B'nai Yisrael pulled out from underneath the Kohanim in the Jordan River and then set up a Gilgal, which was a huge thing. Moshe Ben was sold, even though it was super heavy, he would be able to carry wherever he went, like we set up above. And the Maral Diskin points out that a normal donkey can hold on its back a lesech, which is 15 saws. So this is something that was so heavy it would take almost three donkeys to carry. Three of them to be able to carry it out, and yet he was able to do it by himself, obviously through a miracle. Then that's that. So the Balaturim says, Ve'esa Mata is the Gematria 466, which is the same Gematria of Sanferinon, but it is off by 10, and I'm not sure exactly why it's off by 10. So if you ask me why is it off by 10, I'm going to tell you, yeah, I'm going to shake, I, I don't know. I don't have an answer for it. Yalkur Vini Bishal says, Machlokis, between Rabbi Yeshua and Rabbi Yudah, whether it was made of wood or it was made of sapphire, and it's based on this. Now, I've got more. The Shach says, in other Midrashim, that the 10 Makos were engraved on it with the letters Ditzach Adash Biachav. Those 10 letters were put on top of it itself. Now, the Gematria of Ditzach Adash Biachav is 501, which is the Gematria of Asher, and that's why it says, Asher Tasaboasa Osos. Those are the Osios on the, on the staff. Asher. 
501 was the gematria of those altogether. The Arizal says, this hints to Paro's words before, Mi Hashem Asher Eshma Bekolo. Who is Hashem that I should listen to his voice? The Asher, the Mate is going to come in. That's the Asher of the Makos, the 501 Makos that are right there. The Vilna Gon says, that might be the Makos between Rabban and Rabbi Yudah and Agada. You ever wondered? Right? We say, Dam, Svardea, Kinim, Arov, Dever, Shkim, Barad, Arbe, Choshech, Makas, Bechoros. And then we say, Rebbe Yehuda. Oh, Rebbe Yehuda, Rebbe Yehuda, Rebbe Yehuda, Rebbe Yehuda, Rebbe Yehuda, Rebbe Yehuda, He gives a simon to remember it. Titzach, Adash, Biachav. Now, dude, anybody can do Rashi Tevis. You know, I could also do like Biffle for like blood, frud, and frog, frogs, and lice. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, I can do that. Um, what do we do? Le wid. Le whip. Le whip for lice, wild animals, and pestilence. You know, like, I could do that if I really wanted to. What is the big deal about giving Rashi Tevis and putting it out there? Like, oh, oh, the Chiddush of Rabbi Yehuda is the Tzach Adash B'Achav. What is it? It could be, the Gros says, that they're arguing about what was written on the staff. According to the Chachamim, Dam Tzfardea Kinim Aruv Dever those words were on the staff. And according to Rabbi Yehuda, Hayanosin Bo Simanim. He said, on it, on the staff, were simanim that was on the staff itself as a timeout you know the machlokis between Rabban and Rabbi Yudah really is right you, you ever noticed this before what's the last one what's the part of the last word right with the bays what did the Rabbanon say oh no it's not oh it's not it's not so two questions. Number one, why are all the other ones not known as Makas? Why isn't it Makas, not Makas, Verdea, Makas, Kinim, etc.? It's only Makas, Bechoros. Number two, why is it that Rabbi Yehuda, if it is Makas, Bechoros, and it's so important that the Makas has to be there by the Rabbanan, why does Rabbi Yehuda not quote it? It should be Be'acham, not Be'achav. And the answer is, there was a Machlokis, what happened during Makas, Bechoros. Everybody agrees the Bechoros died at midnight. That nobody argues with. But there's a Machlokis if there was a civil war in Mitzrayim the day before. When Moshe Rabbeinu came out and said, all your firstborn are going to die, the firstborn came up to Paro and was like, let them go. We're done. We're good. We're totally in agreement. Send out all of an Esau. We're totally okay. And Paro's like, no, take it like a man. You guys can take this, okay? Don't worry. Everything's going to be okay. And they're like, no, 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 no. We're going to die. And we don't want to die. Send them out. Paro's like, no, I'm not sending them out. So there was a civil war. The Bechoros fought against their parents. And 600,000 Egyptians died. According to the Rabbanan, that war was part of the Makkah. There was Makas Bechoros, the Makkah of the Bechoros, and the Bechoros dying. There's Makas and Bechoros. But according to Rabbi Yudah, there is no, that's not, that war happened, but that's not part of the Makkah. The only Makkah was the Bechoros dying. So according to Rabbi Yudah, it's Ditzachadash Biachav. According to the Rabbanan, it's Makas Bechoros. Both of them are considered part of the Makkah, so both of them are considered the full Makkah. That's the Makkah between them all together, which is pretty awesome. Yeah. How many Bechoros? Yeah. More. Because not only that, dogs dragged out the bodies from the Bechoros that were already buried and took them out, killed them again. Like the Bechoros came back, they came back to life, they walked in front of their houses, they're like, Mommy, Daddy! And the parents were like, Oh, son! And then they died right there in front of their parents again, and then the dogs dragged out their bodies and ate, their, ate the bones. Yeah, it's awesome and funny. At the same time, if you're macabre like that, yeah, macabre, that, that, that's pretty sick. That's like the sign of a serial killer. So either way, so the Chassam Sofer says something even awesomer. He says, isn't it kind of obvious what all the Makos were? If, Moshe Rabbeinu had a cheat sheet. 
You know, like all these quarterbacks, they have that little thing on their arm that tells you what play they're supposed to call, whatever it is, you know? Like if you had a cheat sheet on the, ma- on the mata itself and it said, Dam Svardea Keenum Aro Dever, it must be, it can't be that hard. Like Kodesh Baruch told them, like the next maka is, Moshe's like, wait, got this. Svardea, I got it. I, I'm good. I know it. Like, wouldn't that have been super easy to figure out exactly what it was going to be? Why was that a hard thing? And why did Akash Baruch even have to say anything? He knew exactly what the next maka was going to be. So why would he have to have anything at all? Now, there is one maka that we're not sure about. Arba. We have no idea what, what's up with Arba. Arba was a strange one because Akash Baruch never told him what maka to be there. There's a locus of Akash Baruch said something beforehand or Moshe Rabbeinu sort of made it up on, its own, on his own. It was like his own personal maka that he came. And it is funny because Arba is the most natural out of all of those makos. So is that something that Moshe Rabbeinu came up with on his own? If it was on the staff, it would be right there. Says the Chassam Sofer, no, 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 no. The, the 501, the Gematria 501, the letters of Dam Tzvardi Akinam Dever, says the Chassam Sofer, are actually tserufe osios. They're letters that if you join them together in another way, they are names of a Baruch Hu. Do you remember how we said before that there was the Shema Mefurish that was written on the staff, the 72 letter or the 172 word, 216 letter name, something was on that staff itself? According to the Chassam Sofer, it was the letters of the Makos that were in a different order. And in that order, it was the actual shame hamafurish that Hashem used to create the world, like the Ritva said. And if you, if you knew how to do it, you could create the world using these letters. And if you rearrange them in a different way, you can make the makos happen. So it wasn't a cheat sheet. It didn't say Dalid, Mem, Tzadi, Pei, Reish, Dalid, Ayin. It was all a mix-up, a jumble of all the letters in different places. And only when he came up with the Makos did Moshe Rabbeinu recognize that those letter, letters formed the Makos. And he realized what they were supposed to do. That's how the Chassam Sofer says it. The Maril Diskin says that on the, when he used the staff to make the Makos happen, the letters popped out and lit up in front of him so he could see See what letters of the Maka it was about to be. So Akash Baruch told him, Dam and the Dalid and the Mem popped out off the staff and lit up in front of him, like the Urimitumim almost, so that he could see what letters they were and they were going to be there. So what happened to it? What happened to that staff? Yeah, Barbanel says in parts of Bishalach, because the staff was a clay kodesh, a clay aloki, he says, even Yoshua was not allowed to use it. We don't know what happened to it, says the Barbanel, unlike the staff of Aaron, which was put in the Kodesh HaKadoshim, if it was separate, and that had the Shkedim Prochem that was hidden with the Aaron Kodesh by Yoshia in the times of the first base Mikdash. We have to assume, he says, that Moshe brought it with him to Har Havarim when he died and brought it with him into the cave. Right? That's what it must have happened. This staff, therefore, was never used by any other person. I quoted up above that it was used by every king of Yehuda and brought by Mashiach. I don't know how that would have been or where, where that comes from. The Otsur Plos, the Torah says he heard from the Munkat Shereva, that the daughter of the Yehudi Akadosh of Pshischa, the wife of Rav Moshe of Olov, was having terrible nightmares and nothing was helping her. Her mother begged her husband to do something and he handed her his staff, telling her she had nothing to worry about. She never had nightmares again. She never returned the staff and brought it with her to Eretz Yisrael when she moved to Eretz Yisrael. When she was dying, she told her father, fa- family to bury it with her. That's what she understood, that it should be buried with her based on something cryptic that her father had said, and they did so. They had to break it in half in order to fit it inside her arm. She was a very short woman, and her father was a very, the, the lover Rebbe, um, uh, the, I'm sorry, the Yudia Kaddush was a very tall man. So they spl- split it in half, put it inside the arm, and put one half of the staff in each hand. Normally, when a person passes away, 
right? It's interesting. Usually you're supposed to have your hands straight so that you're not holding anything. I don't know what it means that they put it in each hand, but it says straight out that they had from the Munkachar Rebbe that they had it in both hands and they were both there. There's an amazing Benio about this in Gittin, Daf Samach Zayin, about the staff of Shlomo Melech, but it's not for right now. But suffice it to say, there's something about these staffs that are there. And eventually, I will go further into it as to how this applies to even us nowadays and how it applied even by the times of the Ben Ishchai and Rabbi Yudha But it's for another time. We'll stop with that, guys.